that's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome Fangraphs writer Ben Clements to the program. Ben and I discuss the upcoming KBO season, his series on wacky World Series tactics, and the form we'd like baseball to take when it returns to the U.S. Plus, Ben reveals a shocking predilection for drinking plain, hot water, and a not-so-shocking affinity for board games. All of that is coming up, but first, it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of a takeout order of frozen yogurt, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Ben's World Series series, Rachel McDaniel's exploration of players' final games, Jay Jaffe's KBO coverage, and Eric Longenhagen's top prospect lists. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership, either for yourself or as a gift for someone else, and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. It really is the best way to support the site and experience it. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Ben Clemens, Fangraphs writer, which begins right now. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. It's, you know, it's been a weird few months of always being at home. Yeah. But I that's probably the same for everyone. And I feel like all things considered, things are going great. Yeah, you you have a sort of interesting experience, I would imagine, as a work from home sort, because you had been a work from home sort for uh, probably, what, a little over a year when you think about when you joined Fangraphs. And, uh, yeah, almost exactly a year. Yeah, and so you were you were sort of used to it, although probably not quite as used to it as as some others have been. And then you were really a work from home sort because of quarantine. Did the before time and the after time strike you as different? Do they feel different to you, Ben? Well, one thing that's been really noticeable is my wife works from home now too. Oh, sure. And so that is pretty different. Yeah. We have enough space that it's not a huge imposition. We have a smallish guest room that I have a computer in and then enough of a dining room that she has her computer and the dining room table. Uh, dining room. It's more like a dining room, living room combination. Sure. We're doing Kylie's Lifestyle podcast again. <laughs> uh, but Are we going to talk about your backsplash? No, we rent, so <laughs> not renovating. Sorry, Kylie. <laughs> but yeah, that's been the main change is that we're just both here all the time. And that that's really noticeable because... It's just different. There's like more sound and yeah. I my writing process involves a lot of aimless walking around. Yeah, and so I'm sure that looks very weird when you're you know plugging away at your computer for real work, and I'm just dazed out walking around the apartment. Yep, yep. Thinking about World Series tactics and <laughs> exactly quad A players in the KBO, and yeah, I think that I would imagine a lot of folks are getting to know the work routines of their spouses and partners and roommates in a a new way might be a lot of opportunity for some you know attenborough style nature documentaries at the end of this (laughs) a baseball writer stalks from room to room i won't throw this person under the bus but uh, (laughs) a friend of a friend of mine has acquired a tent so that should the weather improve in the east coast city he lives in he could sleep in it at some point in his backyard as a as a means of perhaps getting a brief reprieve from his loved ones or just as a change of scenery Uh, from his roommates yeah oh yeah that makes a ton of sense 
it's it's a very I mean any cohabitation is a is an intimate living experience even if it is not you know a, a romantic intimate but yeah it's a lot of a lot of mushed together time a lot of mushed together aren't you glad you're not in New York anymore Ben <laughs> I am yeah I was already glad I wasn't in New York but yeah. I'm especially glad now yeah, our sympathies go out to, as people who have experienced New York City living and have decamped from there, our profound sympathies go out to those who are still in New York City apartments because they tend to be quite cozy. And I imagine feel especially cozy now. So you you have had a slight change in your work from home situation, but not a, a totally radical change. Yeah. And Ben, you know, we're just going to ask you a lot of very personal questions on this podcast. And then if any of them are too personal, you can say, hey, Meg, that's a weird question to ask in a work setting, which is what this is. And then we'll tell Dylan, hey, edit that one out. I don't feel like answering it. So you shouldn't feel obligated to answer any of these. But have you gotten good at marking time? I find myself really struggling to know when in the day it is. I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time with that. <laughs> yeah, I have never been very good at it. Wow. Oh, so right. I'm... Just continuing my previous, you know, ineptitude. Yeah. I often look up and I'm like, oh, it's three or, oh, it's 9 a.m. or, oh, it's six. Yeah. I just, I think part of that is that writing is very resistant to having a schedule. Yes. Because you just kind of write until you're done writing. Yep. But I never know what time it is. I'm pretty punctual when I have appointments because I have a calendar. Right. But if I'm not doing something particularly scheduled, I mean... I think I'm a pretty good on-deadline writer in general. I can attest to that. You do a good job. But it's not because my process is good. <laughs> this is a play badly, get rewarded kind of situation. Because my process <laughs> is like, just write for a while. And then after that, like, you're tired, so take a break. Yeah. Well, I would maybe invite you to consider that that process is just fine because uh, the work you produce is good. So perhaps it is a a better process than you're giving yourself credit for. I ask about the time thing because it's a way of uh, transitioning into a question that I'm curious about. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the KBO and perhaps some World Series stuff and also uh, the form of baseball that we hope to see at some point this summer. But first, I, I will just say, like, I have missed baseball for a lot of reasons, but I think one of them has been that it is, a. I am realizing, and this is not a unique or particularly uh, insightful observation, it's one that several others have had, but it is a reliable way for me to keep time and to have a sense of time in the day, uh, especially this time of year. And now it's just absent. Yeah. So I wonder, Ben, what are what are some of the things that you're missing the most about baseball, apart from the fact that its absence has, you know, <laughs> thrown our uh, employer into <laughs> fits and made fan graphs right. less stable, you know, and the horrible crush of pandemic. But, you know, apart from those things. <laughs> Other than a few things. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I miss most. Yeah, I think I miss... Just the feeling of, like, comfort, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I just like that, like, there is a... Now, obviously, my life is very similar day-to-day now. Right. Because I'm just inside. And then later, I'm still inside, and maybe I go for a walk or run. But I liked the fact that I would be doing very different things, and yet I knew that there would be baseball around. And that, that was really nice. Like, the feeling that you could have your life be all over the place... Or like you're doing different things every day or you go out to dinner, but then there's always this like beat almost. Yep. Like there's a rhythm 
and that feels completely gone now. And so yeah. that that's the thing that I have missed the most. I thought I would miss like getting to watch baseball the most, and I do. But I think it's more how well it would give my life like comfortable beats that I could follow. Yeah, I have found. I was thinking about this within the context of a a potential KBO broadcast deal, which we we hope very much will end up. Uh, oh coming, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, coming to fruition. And I was thinking about you know what about having the the KBO on uh, was appealing to me, and you know a lot of it's the obvious things like we we just don't have the opportunity to engage with the KBO in the way that we probably would like to under normal baseball circumstances because there's just there does come a point where you have to do other things besides baseball and those games aren't broadcast here and so you know we get to check in on a league we don't know and that's exciting and it'll alleviate some of the creative burden that i think the staff feels at times with no baseball in terms of what to write so that's good but i was thinking about it and i you know, I think everyone at Fangrass has done a really lovely job of finding things to write about, but there's nothing quite like turning on a game and having something happen and feeling like, aha, I gotta, I gotta say something about that. That makes me want to say something. And I think live baseball is pretty special yeah. and it's not knowing what happens is very yeah. different. Yeah. So, you know, I hope it happens because then people are going to turn on baseball and be like, hey, um, hey, there's baseball. I'm going to say something about that at bat or this, you know, relief usage or whatever. And it's especially interesting for us to engage with that in a league that we know less well because we have to learn new things. Meg, did you see this Dixon Machado catch? I did, but you should tell, you should describe it in this excruciating. Classic, classic bad podcasting. <laughs> but I will include a link to it in the, in the post so people can at least turn to that. Um, that got me more hyped for baseball than anything has in a while. <laughs> so if you picture a shortstop making an over-their-shoulder catch in foul territory, you can see that. You know, it's the, the Jeter diving into the stands or mm-hmm. anyone making one of those, like, just slidey kind of catches where they're looking over their shoulder the whole time. And then Machado did that play, the the pretty standard sprinting backwards play, except he ran from the outfield fringe all the way past the bullpens on the side, essentially like three quarters of the way to the warning track and just went full flight, like sliding, stabbing catch. And you're going to get to see this a lot in the KBO because every ball is in play and he's he would be one of the best shortstop defenders in the majors, I think. Yeah. He, yeah, the glove like, was his never... His entire reason was for being a prospect was the glove. Right. The glove it's was never like, the issue. Yeah. I'm so excited to see him in games. <laughs> Yes, and he, you know, he's he is so pleased with himself at the end of this play in a way that's very earned, right? It's like, I made a very nice play. I did a good job at work today. I have the satisfaction of a job well done. You know, he, he flips the ball to his teammate uh, to sort of complete the, the oh, play yeah. with a flourish. His teammate is impressed and gives him a, a nice high five. It's the sort of thing that I think will, when we see it live in a in a game, will make us feel the absence of fans pretty profoundly. Because this is the kind of thing that, you know, fans get excited about. And one of these guys probably flips the ball to a youngster, some sort of youngster. And then the camera finds that kid and he's holding the ball and he's excited. And we're not going to have any of that. You think they'll do the lockdown Orioles thing where they flip the ball into the stands even with no fans? I don't know. I can I ask you, do you think in so I remember that moment from that 
strange game in 2015 also. And I still to this day cannot decide if he was doing a bit, like he he knew that the fans weren't there, or if it was pure reflex. Just muscle memory? Yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I can't decide. Well, now that you said it, I'm thinking about it. Before, I just assumed it was a bit. Yeah. But no, I think it was. I think it's like 95% in favor of it having been a bit. But I think there is a 5% chance that he flipped the ball into the stands and was like, oh, there's no one there. And then he like made a face to make us think like, I'm in on the joke. Right. The reason that I think it's a bit is because of the face. But yeah, if he's thinking on his feet. Yeah. I mean, it's the only thing I remember from that game. I have no idea who won or anything else. Yeah, I don't recall who won either. And in fact, until um, it was a game that started being referenced fairly frequently on the site because of, you know, the the likelihood that we're going to have games um, without fans now, I had even forgotten who they were playing. Oh, I don't know who they were playing still. It was the White Sox, I believe. It was. Got it. Yes, it was the Chicago White Sox. Let's let's we're going to spend a minute on this because there's no live baseball to interact with. So why not? Gosh, the Orioles really did win that game. Eight to two. The Orioles scored six runs in the first inning of that game. Ah, Well, they couldn't put the crowd to sleep because there's no crowd and they were the home team. But (laughs) it did well enough. I'm sorry. No, I was just just streaming with Dan and the puns are. (laughs) Yes, I had the disorienting experience of having your stream on and then hearing you reference needing to get off so that you could come talk to me and i <laughs> i uh was like all oh, right we gotta we got a podcast i had been caught up oh, now i want to look at the box score of this game so while i'm doing that let's talk a little bit more about the kbo ben you have been uh, previewing the kbo at least some of the faces that might prove to be familiar to Vangrass readers uh, because their opening day is next week. It's on the 5th of May. Yeah, next Tuesday. And I'm curious in your research, who are some of the who are some of the players you're the most excited to see again? I think we can probably put Dixon Machado on that list. But who else is striking your fancy? So I'll put it in two categories. There's one category of people who are good because, mm-hmm. you know, that's fun. Yeah. And... In that category, I want to see Jose Miguel Fernandez. Yes, he he was a prominent character in your in your primer, primer. Yeah, like primer? I, I think primer, but I'm not sure. Primer. So I knew who he was because he he signed with the Dodgers, kind of old, out of Cuba, mm-hmm. and they cut him after less than a year, and I was really weird. And then I lost track of him, but I, he is like really crushed the KBO. He hit. 344, 409, 483 last year. He's a kind of guy that doesn't exist in the majors anymore. He's a no power first baseman. Yeah. But he never strikes out. He struck out 8.5% of the time. He just hits a lot of line drives, a lot of singles. I think that's pretty cool. And he's also like very successful. And then there's this guy, Mel Rojas Jr. I don't know who that is. I mean, I do now, but I didn't know who that was. He was a reasonably minor prospect in the U.S., and he went to Korea, and he just became one of the best hitters in the league for, you know, three straight years in a row, and he's coming back again. He has the highest contract for any expat there, $1.5 million, and he's just like, he just crushes. Yeah. Like, he had a 530 slugging percentage in 2019. He had like a nearly 400 on base percentage. So those are the guys that you should watch for. There's also a guy on... Oh, I'm bad at the, on the wiv- wyverns, wyverns, wyverns. Let's say wyverns. I think that's right. 
Jamie Romack, who's another guy I didn't know from, you know, affiliated ball. Yeah. But he is another fourth year veteran who hits a bunch of dingers, strikes out 20% of the time. He and Rojas are very similar players. Rojas is younger and a little more dynamic. But those are the guys who are there and stars. For people I'm excited for, yeah, I mean, Dixon Machado, number one. I like defense. Yeah. I really like dynamic defensive players, especially if they can hit a little. And he will probably be able to hit a little. Yeah. There's some interesting names coming over from the U.S., like people you've heard of. Aaron Althair is probably the uh, the best player there. Uh, well, Dan Straley might be better. Yeah. I don't know. Who of those two would you consider better? Oh, gosh. Hmm. Hmm. Now I'm going to have to pull up your piece. I'm going to have to pull up your piece. and I'm going to have to contemplate this. We're going to cut some of the silence because, like, <laughs> I mean, it's a hard thing to compare them. Yeah, they're very different. I mean. Australia has a long career of mediocrity. Right. And, you know, like, they, um, one's a hitter and one's a pitcher. So yeah. that's different, too. Gosh. I'm going to have to deal with the fact that Aaron Althair is almost 30. 29. Yeah, that's, he was an old that, prospect. Yeah, gosh, when did that happen? But still. I think that I, despite the differences, would probably take Straley. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Straley is better. So those are the two best players. They're both new to the league this year. Yep. Straley has been worse recently. I don't even know Althair was so bad last year. Yeah. I mean, they, neither to be to be clear, neither of them like uh, covered themselves in glory last year. Yeah, uh, it's like it's like which flavor? Which flavor do you want? Which flavor of not the best do you want? Do you want the the version of it that involves three separate teams, one of which was the Mets, or <laughs> right. would you like someone who was part of you know the the Orioles pitching staff, which you know it I didn't point go? Out, he was released by the Marlins. It's a uh... Right. That's not not what you'd no. love to see. No. Like, if you had a choice of being released by the Marlins or not, right. I think you'd take not. Right. And if you had a, an option to not be part of that Orioles pitching staff, you'd be like, I would prefer that option that does not involve the Orioles pitching staff. We're going to engage with the Orioles pitching staff briefly just because here's, here's a chance to do it. Because there was a, a moment in time where one of the things we really cared about and thought a lot about was uh, how many home runs the Orioles had given up. What would yeah. you, without looking, do not look, Ben. That would be cheating. Okay. What do you think the worst gap was between the Orioles, who were the worst pitching staff, this is mm -hmm. both starters and relievers, by our version of war last year versus the best pitching staff, which was the Tampa Bay Rays? What do you think the gap in war was between, okay. between so those Let's two think about teams? this. Yeah. So how many war do I think the Rays had? Uh, they weren't like one of the best pitching seasons of all time. No. But they were pretty good. Yes. I think they probably had an above average league leading war, if I had to guess. So let's say, and they probably had 50 war overall, give or take. Let's give them, and pitching gets 40%. Let's give them 25 pitching war. That might, I don't know. And then let's give the Orioles like minus five, so a 30 war gap. So you were very, very close on the Rays. They were good for 25.3 uh, wins. So above I was bad on the Orioles is what you're saying. Yeah, they were bad, but they weren't quite that bad. So 5.5 war. Oh, wow. 
They're positive. Yeah. The real story here is actually the couple of teams that come in just right above them, just right above them, um, which were god-awful in a way that I can attest to in a sort of limited way, uh, having watched more Mariners games than was advisable for anyone's health last year. So Orioles, dead last, as you might expect, 5.5. The Angels only... And Mariners only marginally batter 5.8 wins above replacement across their entire pushing staff. We can break down starters versus relievers in a moment if we care to, but we can decide not to because it feels mean to to, to sort of dwell. And then the Marlins were uh, 5.9 ones above replacement. Gosh, the bottom of the league last year was really very bad. Can I tell you why I goofed this up? Because it's actually pretty funny. So Drew Rusinski, also playing in Korea this year. Okay. And he's, you know, he is actually... Probably a little. He's going to be a very good pitcher there, I think. Sure. He he has real stuff. Like, I mean, lots of these guys do. Yeah. But I think he could be like a real guy there. Yeah. I looked because he last pitched in the majors, I believe, in 2018 with the Marlins, and so I looked at that year's Marlins pitching staff, and he had the fifth most WAR on their relieving core. Okay. With 0.1. And they had a total of minus two and a half war as a relief staff. Oh, gosh. And so I thought, well, their starters are surely worse than that. Interestingly, um, another KBO export, now I'm, I'm doing what we call a tieback in the professional podcasting business. Yeah. Was Odrisemmer Despagne. Yes. Who <laughs> managed 0.2 war for the Marlins. Oh, gosh. And they had um, some other problems. Harlan Garcia was more than a war to the bad. Kyle Bearclaw was almost down there. Janiki Chizawa was on this team somehow. And so that anchored me to you can be negative. Yeah. I forgot John Means was great. Yeah, Means was good. And uh, Bundy was fine. That really helped a lot. Yeah. So my guess was pretty good for the Rays, pretty bad for the Orioles. But in my defense, I was poisoned by seeing how bad the Marlins pitching staff was in 2018. Well, and it's the sort of thing where given the, I think that it is a, an understandable error, especially just given how bonkers the home run numbers were out of Baltimore. Really just, gosh, it's just a, an absurd number of home runs allowed from that team. Really just unreal, candidly. Home runs, let's see. How many? I love that we have 305. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. It's really it's really an awful lot. Okay, now we're going to play the same game again because this is just a podcast where we play games now. All right, I have Fangraphs closed. I'm not looking at anything. Okay, yeah, don't look. So the Orioles led the league here, 305. I'd like to point out that the Colorado Rockies are the second uh, worst team by this metric, and they – so that's funny. Just on its face, you can laugh at that. 270 significant gap which it will probably not surprise you to learn that the the rays did the best by this measure what do you think the gap is between the orioles and the rays in terms of how many home runs their staffs gave up i feel like i'm taking a or i'm doing an interview for a consulting firm right now oh no i'm very sorry that's a terrible feeling to have we'll move Uh, on very quickly after this because i don't want you or our listeners to feel like they're in a consulting interview (laughs) I think there's something wrong with me, but I feel like I might enjoy those. I wouldn't like consulting, but the interviews. Yeah. So how many home runs would be very few allowed per game? I don't think it's even possible that they allowed only one home run per game. That sounds too low. Too low. Your instinct is correct. The trop is, I think, pretty neutral. So it's not, you know, the Dodgers or anything where I can 
dock them a little for that. So if the average home run rate was around 5% and they face, I don't know, 40 batters a game, so that's two home runs a game. Well, that's definitely wrong. All right, some of the math's wrong somewhere. So I'm going to say 215 and call it a day. 181. Oh, too high. Wow, they really did allow almost one home run a game. That's crazy. Yeah, which, especially given the ball last year, is like pretty phenomenal. It's pretty, yeah. It's pretty incredible. So, yeah, Orioles are bad, but um, hopefully some of their recent denizens experience better luck in, uh, in the KBO. I really do hope that we get broadcasts. I am excited to. I'm excited to see how they decide to grapple with the lack of fans. We've seen what um, the CPBL has done. Have you watched any of the baseball out of Taiwan? I, th- I would imagine, like me, that the the time zones just have a, not aligned in a way that's particularly friendly. So I've watched a decent amount, but I've watched all of it on my phone in bed. Mm-hmm. And also, like, usually the ninth inning. Got it. So when I wake up in the morning, I have a little alert to see if they're streaming. And if they are still when I'm up, I'll just put it on. It's actually an okay way to catch the end of games. I saw the one that was just, like, a bunch of walk-off home runs or Mm -hmm. a bunch of lead changes in a row. That was fun. I think the talent level is pretty noticeable there. Yeah. Like, it feels... I don't even know if it feels like watching good college ball. Yeah. And that took me out of it a little. Yeah. And so it's just very hard for me to tell whether I was weirded out by the fans or by the level. Sure. That's, it's still really fun. Yeah. Have you paid attention to the the cardboard fans that they've had in the stands? <laughs> yes. So I don't know if this is true every time or everywhere. It seems like there's some variation. So the the fan groupings they have that are not behind home come in groups of four which seems both understandable from a advertising perspective because they seem to have banners that yeah. that um, have ads on them, but also seem very poor in terms of modeling the social distancing of the fake fans. And uh, some of them, they look like they've had emoji eyes put on <laughs> them because they're they're unusually large. And some of them are happy and some of them are sad as, and angry as if to say, hey, we're not socially distanced. But I've mostly been amused that the, the fans, and I'm doing air quotes because that's really good radio, sitting behind home have... They kind of have like fathead dimensions in terms of the size of them. It's like they're supposed to be picked up more easily on the broadcast. Yeah. So I find it very disorienting. <laughs> like, who are these giant? I'm not even paying attention to the baseball. It's like, who are these big headed people? How are they like that? What has happened <laughs> to them to make them that way? And the answer is just that they're not real. But um, it's like a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit like that. So I'm curious to see how how the KBO deals with the lack of fans if they just i mean in the scrimmages that they've done it's just been empty yeah, the scrimmage yeah so, so like, sure yeah so i'm not sure if they plan to have fake fans or if they're just gonna let the the ballpark be empty what would your preference be ben i think i would prefer the ballpark to be empty mm-hmm. but i'm not confident in that yeah it depends on the execution of the fake fans sure and one thing that really stinks about all this is that I haven't been to a KBO game, but I've been to an NPB game, mm-hmm. and supposedly they're pretty similar fan experiences, and the fan experience is a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, they, they have cheers for every player, 
crowds going nuts. It's like a it's like a fun night out. Yeah. Not that going to a baseball game in the majors is not, but it's much more of an event. And yeah, for sure. I think that I won't care because I will want to watch baseball so badly. Yeah. But I wish I could capture the full craziness of it. If you read the interviews from guys who come back, like they're just blown away by it. Yeah, it seems to, at least in the, you know, in the games that I have watched in prior seasons or the the segments of them, it has kind of um I mean, I think the closest parallel in the US fan experience, at least that I have had, is college football. It's sort yeah. of got that vibe, perhaps a little less what is the some of the like SEC fan phenomena does not appear to be present in quite the same way. I'm struggling to think of exactly how to describe that. You know, well, I'm going to make myself sound like, I don't know, your your standard like waspy jerk here, but UVA football was a very fun time and not very much about the football. Right. And that felt a lot like this. Where like, yeah, like you care about the action on the field and you cheer when good things happen and you yell at the refs when bad things happen, but it's really like an event. Right. So it it sort of strikes me that way. How do you feel about the piped-in fan sounds that we have seen in the uh, CPBL? Uh, I think I like those. Yeah. I think that baseball in an empty stadium would just sound too weird. Yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to um you know when when major league baseball comes back, you know, I don't speak Korean so I would not have the same experience of it in terms of being able to identify what they're saying. I'm not opposed to the hot mic in major <laughs> league baseball. I'm going to get, you know, 2000 words out of that. So that is fine, but I think I am fine with there being some even if it is quite eerie. <laughs> at times, a fake fan sound. But I am opposed to laugh tracks, so I wonder how I'm going to feel about it over a prolonged period. Uh, It might have a similar effect. I don't know. Well, I think it matters that, like, let's say you're watching a sitcom. It breaks immersion that there's a laugh track. Sure. Because if these people were actually in their house, there wouldn't be a laugh track. There's not an audience there. Whereas the normal way you play baseball is with an audience. So it actually breaks immersion not to have the track. That's That's an excellent point. Hadn't thought about it that way. So smart, Ben. So smart. So we hopefully will get to watch KBO baseball in the near future. We're hopeful about that. Um, it just I'm seems sorry. like just there's... Just soda. Uh, well, terrible. actually, a sparkling water. Oh, I am also drinking a seltzer. Yeah, we got a soda stream this week. Oh, oh, man. If you do not have one... I don't know if it'll actually change my life, because that's the thing I say too often. But it has so far been pretty great. I mean, you can say it. It doesn't have to be a big change. I guess lots of things change my life slightly. Yeah, it can be a slight change. It can alter your day-to-day in a way that, you know, isn't like, uh, you know, getting married or moving, but it's still noticeable. You can lower the bar. It's fine. I'm drinking a blackberry citrus seltzer. Ooh. Just a generic, uh, you know, like grocery store brand. And um, I quite, I'm quite liking it. I was worried it would be too sweet, but it's fine. Yeah, I'm a sucker for plain. Really? Unflavored. Just because I like bubbles mm-hmm. i also just like hot drinks so i i will drink coffee or decaf or tea or hot water kind of interchangeably which is i am sure gross sorry everyone interesting so i i'm going to note two things and then we're going to talk about we're going to briefly mention your world series series Ooh. Siri, 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 no that's not right because it's not two things it doesn't matter 
I've noticed that there are, you know, there are so many baseball bends, perhaps too many baseball bends, arguably, but we like all of the baseball bends, so I think you all get to stay. And um, you are revealing that one thing that knits you all together, in addition to your name, is perhaps an odd culinary preference or two, um, because just drinking hot, do you just drink hot, plain water? Not always, but if if that's what's available, yeah. Interesting, and you, but you want it to be like tea temperature, not just like um. Oh yeah, yeah. Lukewarm. I would like sip it. Okay, okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna probably return to that at some point just to understand it better. But for now, we will move on and say that um, seltzer is good. I think it's a very useful thing to enjoy plain seltzer because one problem that I run into sometimes as a person who enjoys flavored seltzer is that sometimes you look around and you want to make a, a cocktail that requires just plain soda water, and you don't you don't have it, and then you have to wonder if the you know the the LaCroix Pamplemousse flavor will mess up the drink you're making. It, it very rarely does, but on occasion you're like, this isn't what I need. I just need soda water. So congrats on your soda stream, I guess. Yeah. Our quarantine cocktail bar has, because we just got it this week, oh. has involved a lot of, you think you could put lime sparkling water in this? Yeah. Yeah. The answer is often yes. The answer is usually yes. Like we yeah. made margaritas with lime sparkling water. Ooh, very we good. We had... Uh, we had some kind of tropical flavored sparkling water, and so we made uh, Mai Tais. Very good. You can work around it, but yes, that is a real uh, hazard of having flavored sparkling waters, is that you might want to mix it with something that doesn't work. Yeah. Have you found yourself in your, your quarantine state? And I, I don't ask this question with judgment about the answer, because I think that people are just dealing as best they can. I have not generally had a, a, an acquisitive impulse in this moment. You know, I mostly am just buying food, although I did buy a hat the other day that I haven't really had occasion to wear because it hasn't arrived yet. And also, where am I going to go in a hat? But have you, uh, you're expanding your cocktail bar. Have there been other quarantine purchases that you want to share with our listeners? Or have you just mostly been buying food too? Soda Stream. Yeah. That was a good one. But also, we bought some board games and some puzzles. Yeah. What what board games are you working with right now, Ben? So this one we bought before the quarantine. We got Pandemic Legacy. It's two on the nose. I um yeah. I don't know if, if you enjoy playing that. It's about a disease that keeps sweeping the world and there's no cure and you have to keep evolving to try to stop it. Yeah, I, in the before time, enjoyed that game and I have just not checked in with it to see how <laughs> yeah. I like it now, you know? Because it's it's a game that a lot of people I know have, and so I think we could probably figure out a way to do like a Zoom version of it that would probably be very messy and quickly fall apart. But I just haven't even proposed that because I just don't care to know yeah, how it hits. It's not me, really you know? the right. Theme. No, there's a few escape room games, so you play through them once. It lasts like an hour, uh huh, and you have to try to solve puzzles that are built into the game box. Sure. There's Exit and Unlock. We bought some of those. They're pretty cheap because, you know, they're one to two-ish uses. Sure. So that's fun. We bought a game called Tesla versus Edison Duel. Cool. Where you duel as Tesla and Edison. Haven't played that one yet, but that just came. I have a real issue. I'm not a very acquisitive person, but I buy a lot of games. I really like board games. Yeah. And so, like, this is not a different pace than my normal pace of buying board games. Sure. <laughs> Sadly for me. But that's about it. 
Well, I look forward to your review of Wingspan when when it arrives. Ah, um, uh, yes, that's going to be great. Yeah, this is a uh, this was an off pod recommendation that I made. It is one of my mom's favorite games. Uh, they have gotten well, I got them one of the bird expansion packs as I shared on the last episode of Fangrass Audio for Christmas, and then I think they have since they have the Australian birds headed their way so i hope that you like it because you know when you make recommendations you want them to to hit but it is it is a good game it plays really nicely so i think you'll i think you'll like it yeah you basically pushed me over the edge into buying it because i was very close to already yeah it is it combines um two things that i think are getting a lot of people through right now which is board games and birds people are very enthusiastic about birds if for no other reason than you get to engage with the names that they let people give to birds and then share with others uh it's a good fun time so i i hope you and your your wife enjoy it let's talk about your world series series briefly yeah you've been spending some time at fangraphs going over the managerial decisions of past world series Am I right in saying the 2001 World Series is what inspired you to embark on this project? Yeah. I don't remember if it was you or Sam. One of the non-Ben, effectively wild hosts, <laughs> mentioned this World Series as a World Series where byung Hun Kim threw 61 pitches, and then he came back the next day and like threw 20 more and yeah. blue saves both days. And I just thought, uh, really? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. That's in my memory. And pretty solidly in my memory. I remember that World Series pretty well. And how did I not know that that was terrible? Right. And so I thought, I'll kind of look through other World Series because I didn't used to experience them as a sabermetrically inclined viewer. Sure. I just experienced them as baseball. And as you go back, you remember a lot of things like people used to have no idea who should bat first. Yeah. It was like, if you had Ricky Henderson, cool. Put Ricky Henderson first. That makes a lot of sense. And otherwise, pick your lowest on base percentage hitter. (laughs) That seemed to be essentially the rule. (laughs) Yeah. And that changed over time, but there's just lots of weird little goofy things that people used to do and not based on any real evidence so much as superstition. Yeah. And so that's that was quite interesting to me. And the whole series continues to be pretty fun because, I mean, partially because you get to see some weird decisions, but also partially because it's great to go back and relive these. And I think that that's a lot of the reason that people have been enjoying the series is because you read it and yeah, okay, you kind of care that Bobby Cox bunted three times in two innings in this game. But you more say, oh yeah, like 95 was pretty fun. Like yeah. that was that Braves team that won the World Series. That was cool. Yeah, I think that that's right. It seems that, um, and I don't think it's just because people are are anxious to relive a time before this one, although I think that that is part of it, but nostalgia seems to be working pretty well for people uh, right now. And so, yeah, I think a lot of folks are enjoying remembering perhaps through the same sort of fractured lens that you are like, oh, before I really thought about baseball in this particular way that I think about it now, that didn't strike me as odd. But looking back, like, gosh, we were kind of goofy about this stuff for a long, long time. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to phrase this right, but My experience of baseball before the last two months was largely very, like, ephemeral. Mm -hmm. Like, baseball was just always happening. And you can't focus on the past too much because there's just constantly new baseball being written. So I would, like, I was very in the moment. Yeah. And I kind of cared what was happening now. And, like, yeah, maybe I'd look at stats from old seasons. But I didn't, like, go back and watch old games or anything. There just wasn't time. And so I always, like, felt very connected to 
present day baseball and less so to past baseball. Yeah. And then now that I'm partially looking for content, but partially also just looking for something to do with my life. Right. Like I want to watch some sports because I like sports and there aren't any to watch. I've been watching a lot more old baseball and it's a very different part of my brain that it seems to engage. And it's been really fun. Yeah. I have missed... I mean, gosh, I got really excited about the NFL draft. Uh, I think for that reason, it was just like it felt close to sports. It isn't sports. I watched it like I enthusiastically watched a Zoom call for three days, basically. Yeah, I I did not watch that one. I'll be honest with you. I was mostly impressed with the quality of the broadcast because it had to have been very tricky. And of course, everyone was um, really worried that they would, you know, they would goof it pretty badly, and they they didn't in a way that was impressive. Although um, they told a lot of very sad stories about the the guys who got drafted, uh, there were basically two narratives on the NFL draft broadcast. Either the prospect in question's father played in the NFL, both of his parents played sports. That was the sort of one category, or something tragic had happened to one or both of his immediate family members. So that was a bit jarring. But yeah, I think the the going back to old games, I appreciate games from sort of the 90s for that reason. I have less fun with stuff more recent than that because I think the the specifics of those games and their outcomes are more readily available to my memory than stuff from the 90s where yeah. I think that like kid baseball is just all there are a couple of games that stand out in very sharp relief but a lot of it was just like it felt like I watched one baseball game that went on for seven years um, is kind of yeah, how my kid memory dealt with it and so those are like there's more like even though they are much older and in some ways less recognizable as baseball now more recognizable as something current and contemporaneous because i don't remember how they ended yeah so i went on the statcast podcast to talk about the series earlier this week and matt myers remembers these games mm-hmm. and so he was discussing some game and he's like, oh, yeah, and this is where this happened in the seventh. And I was like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely could be. I just read about it like for a while to write an article and I still don't remember. Yeah. I ended up watching or I have been watching a lot of the games that I write about because it's a little it can be misleading to just read through the box score. Yeah. You don't get some of the things that happened. And so if there's any ever any confusion, I'll watch the game to see how it how the play went down. Yeah. There were a lot of substitutions that I had to see if they were for injury reasons or not. Sure. And so I ended up watching a lot of these games. And yeah, it's actually like a few times I just got caught in the action and started watching. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I have that happen sometimes when I'm watching something with the intent of taking a bunch of screenshots and gifts. And then I'm like, I gotta watch this happening again because I just sat there and got distracted by actual baseball instead of goofing on someone yeah i watched like two full diamondback yankees games yeah that series is really fun though yeah it was yeah it was really fun you know that postseason is painful for me personally because of yeah marriage reasons but um you know i was excited for randy so that part was good ben let's spend just a couple of minutes and then i will let you get to what i hope is a cocktail or perhaps a, a glass of hot water with your friday uh and let's just take a moment so you've written extensively for fangraphs about the sort of potential realities of biodome baseball that started as me saying hey ben can you write about how feasible this plan is and ended with you like learning about meat and how much meat people eat 
So that took an interesting turn, um, but was a very well done piece. Uh, and we seem likely to get some kind of baseball this year. Uh, yeah, it seems very likely. I seems agree. very likely. How advisable that is uh, remains to be seen. Uh, the exact form it takes also in question and how many games uh, get played. TBD. So there's a lot we don't know, but it seems like we will get some kind of baseball. And I've been asking a version of this question to everyone who's come on the podcast lately because I'm just curious how people are thinking about it. Do you want baseball that looks as much like baseball that we're used to as possible? Or are you more open to sort of weird baseball? Because I can see arguments for both versions that are equally good. And I'm curious where you're kind of falling on that. So I think I want the games to be the same. Okay. So nine innings, extra innings. I don't really care if they put a runner on base in extra innings. I never thought that was so weird as everyone else did. Sure. But I want that to be, you know, nine fielders. There's no extra fifth base. Like, like mostly recognizable as baseball. I don't care about the DH either way. I was like, just about to ask. I get the argument towards using a universal DH. Yeah. Both for this season and overall. Sure. And so do whatever they need to. I, I don't mind that. But I'd like to see the games be the same. I don't like the seven-inning doubleheader thing as much as some people seem to. Yeah, I'm not into that either. But I just truly... Not don't care. I'd like to see them do something weird. Like a mega tournament mm-hmm. of best of 15 series or something. Or a double elimination series tournament to where you don't go home if you lose in the first week. Or three pods of 10. And, you know, that gets confusing. Because that's one they've suggested. But figuring out the playoffs in a three pod system is not the most obvious. You can yeah. take one from each pod plus the best other record or something like that. And have a short playoffs. They're... I would like to see rivalries changed. I yes. do not really want to see an 80-game AL East season. I, didn't, I just don't care. Yeah. Like, baseball is going to be very different this year. And I think if they just pretend that it's not and just keep the standings like always and like do it that way, it's going to feel very wrong. Like, this is not a normal season of baseball. Yeah. And just saying, oh, we managed to get 80 games in, so we're just going to call it a 2020 season, I don't think I'd like. Yeah. I mean, I'd still love it because it's baseball, but I think I'd like it more if it got weird. Yeah, but not in terms of the rules in-game, but rather divisions. Yeah, I'd like to see... structure, that sort of thing. Like, I think it'd be very interesting if for a season you just had a division that was the Dodgers, Red Sox, Mets, and I don't know, somebody else, just to pick some completely random teams. That one seems unlikely because of where they play in the spring. Sure. Yeah, like, could you imagine a, if the Dodgers and Red Sox ended up in the same division after trading Mookie? Yeah, gosh, that would be, be incredible. Yeah, it would be great. Or you could just have, you know, if there's a division that somehow united, I don't know, the White Sox and Diamondbacks and Reds or something. Yeah, that'd be super fun. I'd, yeah. I love seeing all those teams. I just don't feel like we need to have the same divisional system and playoff qualification system in this time. And I don't know if baseball is trying to replicate it, but I hope they don't. Yeah. I think that they, whether they want to lean into weirdness or not, I think that they are going to be forced to by some of the geographic realities that any kind of restarted season is going to put on them. And so I think that we will likely see that sort of dictate most things, which is why we're likely to get, you know, a a Florida pod and an Arizona pod and the Texas thing. I don't. Yeah. I actually think the Florida Arizona plan is pretty decent. Yeah. The one thing that I don't know enough about is how the rain works. 
Right. Like, I don't know if there are days where it rains all day in Florida. I don't think there are. I think it's mostly a, you know, a summer storm issue where it thunderstorms in the afternoon. Yes. But that would worry me a little if I were Major League Baseball and presumably they have meteorologists and stuff. Right. But the Arizona plan, Eric and I talked for like 30 minutes on the phone about it. And he just kept being like, oh, well, that stadium, you can't play at this time. Well, that stadium, you can't play at this time. Well, that stadium, you can't play at this time. And it's like, well, I got none left, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that there are, if you do not have all 30 teams, there are some scheduling things you can do that make it livable. But yes, it gets, it gets quite warm there. As a person who once took a trip to watch a, a Mariners Diamondbacks series in Arizona in August, because I'm just kind of a dope, I guess, it is quite warm. And so they would really i would imagine need to play there in the evening and you know i think the heat is like a a physical reality that has to be overcome but i i candidly think the broadcast stuff is probably a bigger problem so you know florida makes that a little bit easier there's also one big benefit of using the spring training teams teams generally do their spring training close to where their city is right the east coast teams are in florida right except for the indians and reds and you know nuts to them i guess The brewers are in Arizona, but whatever. They're central time. It's close enough. It's only one hour off. Well, yeah. Two, what what you really wouldn't want. Oh, right. Because Arizona does off. the weird thing. Yeah. I forgot. But, but yeah. still, like it's a, you know, it's workable. And you do have Chase, so you could, you know. You can feature a game a day. Right. Essentially. I think that if you can get some games in Florida or if, you know, if it turns out that New York recovers way earlier than other cities because of their both the antibody count in the city and the extreme social distancing they did. Right. Then you could have like a Northeast Coast pod. Yeah. And then like that would be fine. Or, um, you know, perhaps something in the greater Chicago area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all predicated on reliable testing and, and whatnot. So who knows? Right. What, I think the, what we get the original plan, the like biodome thing mm-hmm. is just essentially unworkable, unfortunately. Yeah. I think that that's true. I think they're just going to need more access to tests. Yeah. I think that's true. I think, you know, it is heartening that one of the states involved has extended its stay-at-home order. It is discouraging that both Florida and Texas have reopened, at least for now. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what, what the future brings. But I think whether it ends up being advisable or not, we're likely to get some baseball. Well, Ben, we have been going for just under an hour, so I'm going to let you go. But I am going to ask, since you brought up your new cocktail situation, what is on the cocktail menu for this a Friday, which is still a meaningful day. You know, it's still meaningful that it's Friday because you don't have to write anything for photographs tomorrow. So what, what cocktail is on deck for you this evening or right now? Probably this evening. I will probably go run maybe after this. I haven't decided yet. Nice. I think I will drink some beer. Oh. So Cellar Maker is a fancy brewery that's in town. Okay. And California, I assume Washington has as well. They've lifted their restrictions on alcohol delivery, basically. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to get alcohol delivered or to go pick it up. Yes. And we got like 24 beers from them. Uh, and just chucked it in the fridge. And they have a bunch of weird flavors. There's cool. one that is a bulletproof coconut porter. Oh, That's three different words. I mean, I don't really know how they fit together, but yeah. I'll, I'll probably try that. Cool. Well, that sounds great. And also, you know, good uh, good job supporting a, a local establishment. That's excellent. Uh, well, Ben, absolutely. we will no doubt have you back on uh, the show in short order to talk about, I don't know, the World Series or the KBO or... Gosh, maybe Major League Baseball at some point, but uh, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Meg.